Hello and welcome to part six of this Oodcast podcast. Malarkey. That's from, right. From Andy, Laura, Chris and Chris. Hello there, listeners in podcast land. Hello. Hi. I think it's obvious that we've slickened up our operation over the six. <laughs> We're flawless. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, we've got to... This is the episode where we have to talk about the um, end of time part two. Otherwise known as Return of the King. <laughs> That's right. It never ended. It had about eight endings. It actually achieved what I think is a miracle where I actually just wanted David Tennant to die. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's achieved something that no Doctor <laughs> Who enemy has ever <laughs> made me, has never achieved before, which is make me want him to leave the screen. And it's so sad for him. It's basically RTD saying goodbye to his tenure on the series. Let's bring back everyone, every element that I've ever introduced into the series. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's overlong. Introverted it, and sappy. And it, and, and it pulls at the heartstrings. In su- it's like it's wearing boxing gloves, trying to pull at the heartstrings. Mm. Uh, it's just a sentimental mess. And I I'm just so kept, sad. Uh, I just kept seeing those hundred ac- extras from the Monty Python film, um, The Holy Grail, shouting, Get on with it! Laura and I saw the episode originally with, uh, I guess, what would be the Doctor Who target demographic. So a, a young guy who was maybe 12, 14. Anyway, he was just in that last regeneration scene going, get on with it! Get on with it! So It is sort of, it's it's almost like an RTD kind of signature. It's, it's one of those episodes where he's going directly for those kind of can't miss TV moments rather than actually concentrating on the actual That story. is exactly it. He has one eye on his legacy and no eye on where the plot's going. You'd think he has enough legacy, though, for the last five years of yeah, because, great TV. As but, we've said, mm. we like him. He mm-hmm. is great. It's just there are things that are very RTD-ish. You know, there's things that he does. Normally, he's quite a rigorous editor and he manages to keep that to a minimum. But he is just wallowing in RTD-ness. There are, there are, this is one of the two moments in the, the RTD Doctor Who that's made me want to go and make a cup of tea rather than watch <laughs> what's going on. And the other one was the children of time flying the TARDIS. So this is sort <laughs> of, um, it's, it's really unusual. I don't find myself in a position very often where I just sit there and think, I don't want to see this. The other side of the coin was when Rose got sucked into the other dimension and I sat cheering. <laughs> because that's the end of that storyline. Oh, you guys! Oh, you but it wasn't. Souls. It wasn't the end of the Rose storyline. No, as we I found know. Out tonight, <laughs> despite no, all that was of the, the beginning of the Rose and all of the over over sentimentality, I found five things to say about the interminable ending. One. The Donna's living minimum wage crisis. Oh, she's got a lottery ticket. Oh, is it solved? Oh, we never know. Ooh. I, I bet it okay. doesn't win. Now, the... <laughs> <laughs> she pursues it within a couple of months. <laughs>
two, the Sontaran stalking Martha and Mickey. I love the details. The fact he's got a mallet on a bit of rope, like hairy old rope, like you'd hang something up in your shed. I really like that bit. Uh, three, why can't he say anything? He keeps seeing all these people, like the son of Sarah Jane and Captain Jack. He never says anything. He just sort of looks at them in a moody way. Okay, the bit that actually moved me a little bit was Jessica Stevenson and signing away the books of her gran- grandmother. Totally nonsensical. Why would they look the same? Completely stupid. But yet something about the dialogue and the acting moved me a little bit. Uh, the bit that made me want to puke my small intestine out was, this song is ending, but the story never ends. <laughs> Line from Ood Singmer at the end. Oh my God. Let me rip out my ear tracks through my actual ear holes. Well, quickly, number one, Probably will win because the doctor that would just be a real slap in the face <laughs> for Donna if the doctor just went back to borrow a pound from her dead father or absent father just to make her not win the lottery. Two, I reckon the reason there is the hairy old rope is because it is some carpenter's tool is, that they just the, had on set. Isn't it the one he uses in the TARDIS? Oh, the one that hangs ah. on the. Oh. Am I being a bit too observant? No, that's good. That's good. What was your third point? Why can't he say anything to all the various people who he sees? I think it's because Russell T. Davis only had time to write an hour's worth of script and the rest of it he couldn't... He didn't have time to write a dialogue, so he just wrote... This was what was on the script. Doctor, Mickey, Martha, Captain Jack, lots of extras. That was all the script was. It was one page. Open brackets, ETC... Times 30 minutes. Close brackets. Uh, Number four was Jessica Stevenson. What did we think of her? I quite like that bit, but it didn't make any sense. I didn't. I I thought it was pointless. I read, I mean, I know she's sort of an important character in the whole John Smith Doctor line, but does the Doctor really remember it that much? He changed into a human. It's a completely different memory. He did ask her to go with him. Is the only thing that makes mm. me think. And he felt very bad about the effects that he'd had on her because she was in love with him, but then he had to leave her. It's the most cruel that the Tenth mm. Doctor has ever been with the way he deals with a family of blood. It is needlessly sadistic almost, isn't it, in, t- uh, in places? I really didn't like the ending to Family of Blood. How does because he deal with Because he goes, he goes bonkers with them. He, he puts them each into an eternal prison. It's one of them he puts in internal, eternal chains. He chains them up eternally. The little girl he puts into ev- into a mirror, so she's hidden inside every single mirror. Yeah, and then puts the one as a scarecrow, black hole for all time. Yeah, it's quite mean. He is quite mean, so it obviously did affect him. Maybe I like to think that perhaps he's just still feeling the ends of having been human, and so all that aggression and anger he's still feeling hasn't quite processed. That would be uh, like if he's actually acting rationally, then that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the missile battle. Who else loved the missile battle? I loved the missile I battle. I enjoyed the missile battle when I saw it 10 years ago in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still loved it. One you, of them wasn't hairy to sort of a conquer. You didn't see Wilf doing it, though, and I think that made it extra special. That was... <laughs> of all the things to ask an 80-year-old man to do, blow up missiles on a spaceship wouldn't have been my first Oh, no, choice. it was cool to have the, do- the Doctor ride to the rescue on... Oh, I think someone said Starbug. While firing the Millennium Falcon cannons at <laughs> missiles, 
before plunging through a plate glass skylight to land on the floor. <laughs> and what I love about it is he's when he gets to the floor, he's rubbish. He's like, oh, ow. <laughs> I didn't think Everything this one through. <laughs> it's, it's not super heroic. He's actually got glass in his mouth at that point. <laughs> apart from that, and apart from the fact that the, uh, the other thing that I have is that the Time Lords... The reveal at the end of the first one. Wow, Time Lords. I was on my feet cheering when, when the camera spins around and the, the two headdresses are there. I thought that was mm. quite simply brilliant. But then all they do is stand in front of a white background and say, Oh, we might end time. And then the Doctor shoots a bit of... Basically shoots a server. Like, shoots a box of electronics. He shoots the thing the crystal's being Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, essentially, in terms of how much emotional attachment we have to it, it's just some wiring. He shoots some wiring, and they go back. And I just think, what an enemy, and what a reveal, and waiting this entire time to reintroduce them, and and have an act of the calibre of Timothy Dalton doing it, and then... You're, and then the doctor shoots some wiring but and then they that's, disappear. That's his choice, isn't it? He has a choice between which one does he murder? He's, you know, his life will end with a murder. This is what Rassilon says. Which one will it be? And yeah, he chooses Rassilon neither of them. As well. What's yeah. that about? Someone tell me. This is, the, this is what we were talking about earlier with, with Rassilon, in theory, being thousands of years before the doctor. Maybe the even. Time War took the greatest warriors of Gallifrey. Uh, into the time war. Seeing as the time war is a fixed point in time, perhaps they could take them from any point in time. Isn't Rassilon referred to before? This is a very Rassilon strange question. Was... Isn't he referred to as before as being bad anyway? No, he's... He, he is the um... bad guy in Ark in oh, Space. No, he's the bad guy in The Five Doctors. No, no that's, that's Omega. Bruce, but... No, Rassilon is the founder of Time Lord Society who worked with Omega to create... Time Lord power source. He was the, the first hole. president. He I was think. the first sort of the first Time Lord. And he is. He has appeared, I think, in a fifth Doctor story. In the five Doctors. No, no, no. He is in the Tomb of Rassilon. Oh yeah, no, you are right. I'm Ooh. so sorry. Bit of a giveaway being the Tomb of. But Russell. he has also appeared. He has appeared. No, I think that was all. Because Barusa was the other dude, and he gets made eternal in the Five Doctors, which is a bad thing. Because he just gets turned to stone. Uh, oh, spoiler! <laughs> I think most people listening to this may have seen it. <laughs> I'll just flip that round in the edit. Do you anyway, know what I loved? Matt Smith. Sorry, do, you know, do you know what I loved? Was the scene in the spaceship between Wilf and the, do- and the Doctor. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. Now, you described it as perfect, didn't you? I did describe it as perfect. Um, I think every single moment of that is... Spot on the writing, the acting, looking down at the earth and pointing out places that Wilf has been to and remembering his life as a soldier. Stationed in Palestine, that's a nice little detail. I'm yeah. not sure why, but it just seems... it's Well, not because like... you don't tend to hear Palestine mentioned as a place these days, do you? You hear of Israel and the Palestinian territories, but not Palestine. And that kind of like jumps out at me a bit. And the fact that he was just a private... In all of that, in the ending of the private mandate. And, it puts me in yeah. mind of uh, Spike Milligan for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the blizzard of bullets, that's quite an image. It is a great speech. Yeah. I mean, I, like, as we've tried to say all the way through, I still love the series, even when I think it's gone wrong, even when I'm, I can see it's being self-indulgent. I just love it. And there's always enough moments of pure, unalloyed brilliance mm. for me to go, yes, I'm glad. But... F- Furthermore with that scene it. is the moral dilemma, which 
the moral dilemma is being set up for the Doctor deciding who to shoot at the end, but he doesn't want to shoot anyone because Just he the hates... Wise. Because he hates violence, he hates the idea of guns, and that that whole scene of Wilf offering him the gun, what three times, wasn't it? He and each time the doctor says, "No, nope, I'm not having none of that. I, I don't want to do it." Yes, thank you, for <laughs> thank that you, Chris, for the, for the for the reference there. Um, and then the doctor realizes actually he does need a gun because he's facing the Time Lords. So it's that whole sort of like everything gets turned on its head in a very Russell T Davies kind of way of, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I better do that. The one thing I would argue about that scene not being perfect but is, it is. is is the crying thing. Yes, I love you. You're such an amazing man and I don't want you to die. Is it, yeah, I, was... I just don't, there were too many moments that pushed it out of sort of um, Doctor Who and into kind of Bambi, <laughs> which just, I mean, I loved it. In sort of broad terms, there were just the 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 over sentimental stuff for me. Just sort of makes me just a superb sign. actor like Bernard Cribbins can't sell that. Then no one it, can. Yeah. No, come on. Apparently, everybody on set, including like the lighting technicians and the boom technicians, were like. <laughs> but that's because they've been going on about David Tennant leaving for two years, and then he finally did. I think to surely. see Doctor Who sort of enter a kind of Coronation Street EastEnders mode. There, um, I don't have a problem with that. I do. Very firmly. And why, why is that then? Because I hate Coronation Street and EastEnders with a passion. Me too. <laughs> Me three. There is very little commendable myself. about either of them. But uh, okay, I, I mean, don't... okay. But... Russell would... T. Davis. Goodbye, lover. <laughs> Andrew. I, I don't watch Coronation Street or EastEnders myself. I've tried, haven't found myself able to get into them. But there's that element of them which is real. It's that, you know, people do have conversations like that and they do get emotional. And I think that there's a place for that in Doctor Who, uh, which has perhaps famously not done that in its so-called classic series. But I think that's real and it works for me. Okay. I agree because there's the there's the element also of sadness as he as he realises that he's going to die and it's going to be horrific. But there's also the element of... Anger, you know, sort of selfishness. Why does it have to be me? You're a <laughs> stupid old man. Why do I have to die horribly and Wilf's painfully? Wilf's got at the, at the outside 15 more years in him, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so that is it's an interesting like, choice. Take this radiation chamber away from me, if it be your will. <laughs> nice. In there. <laughs> I see what you did. Oh, oh, I'm killing myself. What did we think of that radiation chamber, though? Oh, yes. Yeah. I have something to say about that. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, was, it would have been okay chamber. as a deus ex machina for an episode, you know, which didn't kill... But to be the ending of the Tenth Doctor, it was so riddled with plot holes and wonky, oh, it floods the chamber that the technician is in. Yeah. What a great design feature. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it was busted because the master. Okay, and, the, and, the, and it was busted in ju- such a specific way that it meant that that... That he couldn't even use the sonic screwdriver yeah. on it. I d- and, I, as I say, aren't you and... glad that he couldn't use the sonic screwdriver after accusing RTD of using the sonic screwdriver in every other single instance? Well, not really, because in this instance, the sonic screwdriver could not be allowed to work. Um, so it's like, I've got to find a reason for not being able to use the sonic screwdriver so it was very contrived for me and the other thing that was glaring for me was that when the door of the cubicle is shut there's a gap of about three or four millimeters between <laughs> it and the wall through which the radiation would have flooded the room yeah but it's from Vochi glass 
and the doctor assures us that would be that can withstand anything despite the fact that in the last episode he didn't even know what the alien race was mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. yeah but then they told him that the the gate and machinery was theirs that's why they were there yeah, but he, when he says that's a Vavocci glass, that will withstand anything. As if, oh, I I know all well, about you, that glass. You say At that, that point, but, he did. But Vavocci glass didn't um, survive the heat of the re-entry into the Earth. No, so it can't withstand everything. <laughs> Radiation, what, not what, exploding shrapnel. Presumably, the, the windscreen of the state of the actual the space. Of the oh, the windscreen of the spaceship didn't survive the exploding missiles. No. But it can... Well, no, but radiation's very different, different, isn't it? The radiation... All I'm saying is the yeah. Doctor seems to know a lot about the glass. I think he's when, got his uh, Whereas a few days ago, he didn't know about the species mm. and wasn't able to he identify He just used them. an info stamp. He <laughs> did, didn't he? <laughs> Excellent. I, I agree. I think it was a little It was a little bit wonky to be the demise of the of the Tenth Doctor. It was a little bit contrived... And it was it was there to to make him have to make that choice. But what I really liked was that after he's gone into the cubicle, had the radiation thing, you know, doubled up in agony, and you think, oh, that's it, that's the end. Oh, and I do remember looking at the clock when I was watching it broadcast, thinking, but there's another twenty minutes. And then he wait, he gets up, and he's like, absolutely fine. I remember yeah. just like laughing because it was comedy. It was like that's the last thing was I it? expected the doctor to do. After he's died, to me, that, get that, up. That really got on my nerves because he died what three times before he actually died, <laughs> and it just to me that was oh this time it's it fine we're there. Well, hang on a minute, it's supposed to end in another half an hour. This can't be the end. What what are you doing? And then you get oh look I'm fine, and then carry on. It's so just... we've all established that the ending was quite annoying. Final scene with him and Rose quite naturalistic. I like that. Yes, I like that yes. scene a lot. Actually, that just wraps it up in a very full circle kind of way, and uh, and that Rose goes on to start the series again. Start the series again. Yeah, it's like a sort of. Is that the one they're going to show next, this year? Then they... yeah, yeah. they just put yeah. Rose back on. Actually, they just put Rose back on. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite glad they did it that way because I've been quite happy to talk about how much i disliked the whole dr rose will they won't they horrible thing that that <laughs> horrible thing oh, it's, it's just sex that, chris it's no it's the, it's the lovesick mooning they do when they're not together that just ruins everything else <laughs> to me um it just it doesn't seem right for the doctor to spend all his time mooning over somebody who's not there all the time and i know sort of it's it's an emotion he feels emotions blah 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 but it just to me i'm very very pleased that they decided to go with something a little bit more well thought out it it was very classy that scene was classy if we could have just moved to that like or something that would have been perfect you know all it would have taken is two edits Mm. cut cut and then it would have been a much better ending but russell t davis has taken a show that got cancelled in the 80s because of its incredible lack of popularity to mainstream audiences and has created a show that is now the flagship program of the entire British Broadcasting Corporation and is a brilliant testament to my childhood. You know, it's it feels mm. amazing that it's back and it's done that. And I just wondered if anyone wants to say, what do you think his legacy will be to the series? What do you think that time where he was in charge? What- me, me as a avid watcher will be his legacy. No, seriously. There are so many people like me who haven't been able to find something that's cerebral and yet entertaining enough and 
it can provide an escapist and yet sometimes provoking means of entertainment on terrestrial television. It's really quite hard to find a programme that so many people can appreciate because it caters to all different levels without ever going down to the lowest common denominator. He's managed to do that. I'm a convert and I really hope that the next series is just as good and I'm certainly going to hang around for a bit to find out. Uh, in terms of TV, I think his legacy is already being seen a bit because well, they brought other shows back like Survivors at some point. They're bringing back The Prisoner, which I am excited and very dreading at the same time. Um, and it's sort of, I think it's, it, he erased the idea that shows that worked before and were cancelled because they didn't work can't ever work again. I mean, that may have been proved by... Um, Randall and Hockhurt deceased with Reeves and Mortimer but he proved without any shadow of a doubt that this works and you can pluck actors that really weren't anywhere people like Billy Piper who wasn't considered an actress honey to the bee that's you for me yeah and David Tennant who was barely known when he got cast in that I think by the wider public anyway that's true I think that's an amazing thing to have done. I mean, no one's going to forget David Tennant and he's probably never going to go away, which is great. I agree. Hooray! I think um, for myself, just he, he re-interjected wild imagination and creativity and love for what you're doing back into mainstream programming. And I think what you were talking about, about the series that returned, but also the new series that have been created, some of them more successful and less successful, but that's okay. It's okay to fail as long as you're trying, as long as you're not pumping out more reality television and rubbish game shows as long as you're trying to create something new that's going to actually resonate i would say life on mars is a direct result i mean the guy's name is sam tyler for heaven's sake it, mm. it, it, it it's named after rose and the reason it's named after rose is because the writer asked his young son what should be my main character's surname and his young son said tyler because of Rose Tyler, but he didn't get that until he'd written it and it all, all, all gone through. The writer's and, also a very good friend of Russell T. Davis. And wrote an episode or two, didn't he? Matthew Graham? Yeah, he wrote um, the Olympics one. The, yeah, which yeah. was rubbish. But anyway. It was a great story, though. <laughs> Everyone disses it, but it was a great story. So what I'm saying is it kick-started so many things, so many fires. Life, Life on Mars is brilliant. I really... Ashes to Ashes in its second season. Brilliant. So that's what he's done in in a macro context. What he's done for the series is shown that you can it can be character led once again. You could you can actually go into sort of have a world which you can return to. So you know Rose's family and the first one, whatever you might think of that. But the fact that there can be an arc to it that it doesn't have to be episodes that the Doctor's character can learn and change. All of these things I think are brilliant. Uh, for me, all of the above, um, but. I want to talk about Russell T Davis in particular. His energy and his the way that he's able to articulate himself and be so um vivid and excited and energetic about the program he's making. Uh, I've always found that really I don't know, it's just feed off his his optimism and the fact that he's so uncynical. I find it very exciting. I would love him. I would love him to still maybe write one episode a season. If you think his creativity has been stretched over the whole arc, he basically rewrites all the episodes. He's in every part. Just to have all of that all of that brilliance just got consolidated into one episode a, a year, you know, I think would be brilliant. I really hope that he doesn't feel that he can't write for the series in the future. It's not just... 
over the whole of the arc. It's over the Torchwood arc. It's over the Sarah Jane stuff as well. So just that's considering what he's turned out for Doctor Who in the meantime, just that that's an incredible thought. How much better that could be with just one episode and nothing else. Absolutely. I guess that what that feeds into now is maybe just very quickly our hope for the Moffat era. Well, I have to say, Matt Smith straight away loved him. I thought, there you go. That's the Doctor. No doubt about it. No qualms there at all. Although everyone, all these people complained about the ginger line. I was worried, thinking about the, the um, but I'm a girl line. Isn't that sexist? You know, we're worried about gingerousness, but what's wrong about being a girl? <laughs> Is Stephen Moffat actually stamping um, his preference upon the Doctor's character that he does not want to be a girl? Did Stephen Moffat write the bit post-regeneration? He did write okay. that, yeah. So was he stamping his own opinion that the Doctor shouldn't be and would not want to be a girl and therefore never will be? I think you're reading too much into <laughs> it. Thank you. Well, he did write the comic relief um, where yeah, he regenerated the, into yeah. Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley. Really? Yeah. Nice. That was very funny. But yeah, so Matt Smith, I've got great hopes for. I think um, he looks very, very promising. And the hot new companion. And the hot new companion, Karen Gillan. And um, Stephen Moffat, of course, flawless. I've never seen anything written by him that I have not thought was amazing. So I think we are in for something very special. Just just for the unindoctrinated, can we... Haha, doctrinated. Hey! <laughs> Sorry. So just for the unindoctrinated, can we please, um, amongst the Whovians of us, give us a rundown of which episodes have been written by the Moth? I think everyone who listens to this podcast is going to know I that. I don't. Okay, oh, you then. don't. Okay. Well, there's the silence in the library in the forest of the dead. Yeah. Blink. There's Blink. Ooh. There's... Um, Girl in the fireplace. Girl oh. in the fireplace. And then the doctor dances and... Empty child. Empty oh my child. God. So basically every single episode that's made me crap my pants with terror. <laughs> yeah, every single episode that's incredibly well done. Yeah. Brilliant lines. Very, very funny as well as being horrifying. Massive ideas as well. There's mm. always some mind-bendingly mm. brilliant use of time travel or temporal... Physics. There's there's always something in there that's inc- just and this that little kernel of brilliance. Fear that we discussed a few podcasts back. I will remind you that Blink is your favourite episode. It is, yes. That kind of working through and understanding childhood fears, the the fear of the dark or the fear of things under the bed. Uh, he understands all of that so well, and which is so purely Doctor Who. He's a master of fridge terror, which is. An idea that doesn't necessarily scare you completely at the time you see it, but later on you think, oh my God. What when you if? go to the oh. fridge? So what's with the fridge? Oh, it's it's like a scene where you maybe see a child go into a fridge and then later on you think, <laughs> did they ever get out? <laughs> what? Every, go look it up on tvtropes.com. You will find terror. fridge terror there. <laughs> <laughs> the like, definition so, will scare you. I like how, how specific one. You know, like a scene where you see a child go into a fridge. Oh, I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> You're all wallies. So yeah, I, I agree with um, Andrew. Instant warming enjoyment for this Matt Smith character and his large chin. It looks a bit like a Tory, but I'm not entirely <laughs> offended by that. Yeah, no, he's just bouncy. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that the Doctor is going to actually turn into a puppy if they keep going down this route any any further. But again, I like puppies. I think they're quite <laughs> sweet. And if it's a puppy that makes me crap my pants, 
in terror, as we've previously mentioned, then that probably isn't going to be too bad either. And I like a nice looking lady. So if, if he's got a nice, strong woman companion, that's super too. I mean, Sally Sparrow, good, strong woman. So I've got strong hopes for that as well. Um, all in all, I'm really very, very excited about the new series. I will be mostly watching it from behind a cushion, I expect. But I hear that's a standard position for fans of Who. So, um, yeah. And what we're going to try and do is watch them all together every week and then instantly record an episode of the Oodcast to let you know our thoughts afterwards. Just thought I'd say that now. But obviously, Chris, I will just pass over to you now for your thoughts on the future. Well, following on from, from your comment, Laura, if Doctor Who does... Sorry, the Doctor. Um, if he does keep getting younger every time he regenerates, I do have a four-year-old with a pinstripe jacket who would really like <laughs> to do this job. Um, Call back to episode one. <laughs> I loved seeing Matt Smith in the TARDIS. I thought that was a fantastic scene and I cannot wait to see what happens when he crash lands, wherever he crash lands. But I think my main hopes are just dark and funny. I think that's the main... I want it to get darker. I want it to keep being funny. I know they're bringing back the Daleks for this series and I, I just hope it's a decent story. I, because the last time... Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will always like what happens. I'll always watch it. I'll always enjoy it. But I, just, I really hope that this time the moth gets his hands on the Daleks and does something because that would be incredible, I think. I think you're right. I think that Doctor Who needs to move forwards as a programme and uh, tell new stories, create new, uh, new monsters that everyone will be excited about the production team bringing back in 2050 you know it needs to start earning its legacy again and i think it did that in these two but i think really it needs to stop looking at the past which is weird for a time travel show and actually create some new things and i have every every confidence that the moth will do that uh other than that i'm hoping that the rich vein of humor continues to, uh in in the new series as well to balance out the darkness and i'm really looking forward to seeing what the new tardis looks like Interior, of course. I I hope the exterior is the same. <laughs> and of course, as I say, we will be there every step of the way, I hope. So um, thank you for listening to season one of the Oodcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you will continue to subscribe and download. 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 Oh, that's not good. <laughs> download uh, season two when it comes out. Last thing from everyone. Arrivederci. Bye. Bye. That sound effects on one of those CDs. Oh, okay. <laughs> what was this? That was supposed to be dematerializing. <laughs> that was us going away in our TARDIS. Do 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 do